One, two. Good morning, friends, and it's such a joy to be able to worship with you. Um, today is Palm Sunday, and there's um, a lot of stuff that was handed to you today. You have your little palm branch, you have a packet of readings for this week, and you have the communion elements. And I think that um, kind of have, handing all those things out is right and fitting for this day, because today marks the most important week, the beginning of the most important week in the Christian liturgical calendar. Um, it, even if you miss um, most of the Gospels, if you can just slow down and meditate on what happened in this last week of Jesus' life before his resurrection, I think that we were able to capture in your heart um, an understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So with that in mind, I hope that you'll be able to really focus on God this week and be able to journey with them. When we're watching sports, um, if we clap, it's usually in response to a good play. But if you're a parent of young kids, you might be clapping just because your kid stepped onto the field thinking, oh, he looks so cute in that uniform. And if you're attending a concert, maybe having bought tickets, you are usually drawn to that concert by the skill or charisma of the masterful musicians, unless you have students in elementary or middle school in which case you attend not because you hunger for music, but because you want to encourage your kids and show your appreciation for the teachers. You clap no matter how many mistakes you hear. I've clapped at these concerts not because the music moved me. I clapped smiling big in hopes that my daughter would see me. And I'll do it. I'll, I'll see people taking pictures or videos, and I think that's another form of clapping in today's day. And I'm doing that too trying not to block the view of the person behind me, but trying to get the best possible picture, even if the school announces beforehand that video and pictures will be made available by professionals afterwards. As I'm doing my best to document that moment and cheer on my daughter and her school, I have this question that's in the back of my mind. Am I clapping and taking pictures for her sake or for mine? Am I doing it to show my love or am I doing it to signal my virtue? Does my heart say, look at me, I'm such an awesome parent that shows up and cares? Or is my heart saying, look, that's my daughter, and I'm so proud of her? I find myself examining the way I am in those moments because I find myself examining why I am clapping and singing here at church. Am I clapping to show my love or to signal my virtue? Am I here to say, God, you are awesome? Or to check off a box and say, Sam, you did your good deed for the week. Just a few minutes ago, when we were settling into our seats before worship started, did we focus on the bulletin to prepare ourselves for worship? Or did we just want to look down to avoid making small talk with the strangers next to us? When I take the time to examine my heart, I discover I am an imperfect worshiper. But I believe that this Palm Sunday proclaims good news to everyone that knows they are imperfect in the way they worship God. On the first Palm Sunday, crowds waved palms and they shouted, Hosanna! And they even laid their cloaks on the road to honor Jesus. But these people who looked so enthusiastic, they were so committed on Sunday, but they were the same people who shouted, crucify him on Friday. The first Palm Sunday and the Holy Week just proves how imperfect our worship is. 
But Jesus still chooses to accept our worship and to be pleased with our worship the way a parent might be pleased with an imperfect artwork that their child creates. Jesus not only accepts our imperfect worship, he has a plan to one day lead us into perfect worship. And that is the good news for Palm Sunday that we read in today's passage. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for today's reading? God, we come before you as imperfect worshipers, afraid to examine our hearts because we know that we'll find traces of sin and memories of failure. But God, would you help us to recognize that there is good news for those of us who recognize our failures. That good news in Jesus Christ is that Jesus accepts us as we are and has a plan to make us holy. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be made holy and pleasing unto you. These things we pray in Christ's name. God's word in Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1 through 11, and then Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to a town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble and riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the profession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. And the crowds, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, from Galilee. And from Hebrews chapter 9. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. This is the word of the Lord. The worship, that gave, uh, the worship that the people gave to Jesus on Palm Sunday was as large and as passionate and as exuberant as any worship that I've been a part of. And sometimes we want to experience again those times of special worship that we remember, that were immersive and cathartic and anointed. And we wonder, what can we do to experience that type of worship today, to feel that in our hearts today? Do we need fog machines and LED screens? Or do we need to get a huge historic organ and hire a full symphony? Do we need to convince a thousand people to gather? Do we need to take people into a historic site and do worship there? It's the temptation of every church leader to wonder, what can I do to make this worship special 
so that the people are moved and they're blessed. But today's passage reveals that Palm Sunday, that Palm Sunday worship, the special worship, is Jesus' idea. And it begins with the disciples humbly obeying Jesus' simple instructions to them. Let's find this in verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And this tells us that the disciples are in the middle of a road trip. They are far from home. Most of them probably don't have any money. They're like tourists following a school group, getting ready to enter a big city. They're excited, but they're just along for the ride. What happens in today's passage is not something that any of the disciples prepared. Nobody was planning this for Jesus. None of them had any idea that exuberant worship was about to occur. It is Jesus who plans this day, and he gives two of them some instructions and sends them ahead. And we see those instructions in verse 2. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. So the disciples need to bring both the colt and the donkey, the mother, because the colt that Jesus plans to ride is so young. Luke tells us in his gospel that this colt has never been ridden. So this untrained colt doesn't know how to follow a rider's directions, so the disciples need to lead that colt with the donkey mother so the colt will follow. And all of this tells us that Jesus didn't ask for the colt because he was tired and wanted a ride. Because if he wanted to just not walk and ride, he would have told his disciples, hey, bring the donkey. But Jesus asks for the colt because he is planning to fulfill the messianic prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says that the Messiah will come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. And this tells me that Jesus did not have and did not need a public relations team. It wasn't anyone's job to create buzz about Jesus. Nobody needed to be an opening act, and Jesus did not need a hype man. Jesus takes care of his own impression that he creates in the hearts of others. And all the disciples have to do is obey and then let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. This is a huge relief for me because sometimes I feel like I'm responsible for trying to make Jesus famous. I feel pressure to come up with a new way to preach, to get people excited, or to give people an experience that they've never had before. But today's passage reveals what the job of the disciples is. All they do is listen for Jesus' voice and obey his simple instructions. Jesus is the one with the plan organizing each worship. Jesus has this plan for making a grand entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus has a plan to capture the attention of the whole city, causing neighbors to tell one another what they know about Jesus. Jesus has this plan that announces, I am the Messiah and all of God's promises are about to come true. Jesus has the plan, but he chooses to involve the disciples and he gives them very simple instructions to follow so that they can be a part of this holy moment. This passage is absolutely clear that the disciples are not acting on their own plan or their own authority or with their own resources in verse 3. 
Jesus tells them in verse 3, If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and He will immediately let you take them. So the disciples don't have to worry, Do I have enough money to pay for this colt and for this donkey? The disciples don't have to worry, How will I persuade others to help me, to let me organize the worship the way it's supposed to go? The disciples simply go in obedience, and they discover that things are just as Jesus predicted. And verse 6 and 7 tell us, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. So verse 7 is reiterating that the disciples were not planning for this. They didn't know that Jesus had to enter Jerusalem on a donkey so they don't have a saddle, so they have to make one. They put their garments on the colt and they try to make a makeshift saddle and Jesus sits on it. Jesus plans his own entrance, the disciples just follow the directions, and they give what they have, and the result is not fancy. It kind of looks a little bit off, but Jesus is happy to use it. Jesus is the King of glory who deserves much more than what we can offer, but Jesus is also humble in heart. And when we follow his simple commands, when we put our limited resources together and do our best, Jesus is happy to sit in our makeshift saddle. Amen? Sometimes our worship services are slightly disorganized. Something goes off and we're kind of cobbling it together. But Jesus decides to sit on what we prepare to be a part of that worship service. I saw Darren up here. He's usually our bassist. I think he just learned drums enough to play today. And I'm sure that sometimes people are thinking, I don't have perfection to offer Jesus. I'm just throwing this together the best I can. And we find that Jesus, who deserves perfection, is humble in heart. When we put that together, he is happy to sit and be glorified with what we offer. Amen? When the disciples do their bit, worship breaks out in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. For the poor people in Jesus' day, their cloaks and outer garments, it was their most expensive possession, so much so that in the Old Testament days, that's what they used for collateral when they had to take out a loan. But the people, they happily spread these garments on the road as a way of honoring Jesus. And others are cutting branches and if you would hold your palm branches one more time, they're cutting branches, putting them down, and holding them in their hands. And let's read verse 9 together, where it says, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. There was such energy because Jesus had planned this worship service. And the Holy Spirit was influencing hearts. And the people are waving palm branches in the air, the way color guard waves flags at a football game. And they were cheering for Jesus, holding nothing back. But unfortunately, even in this Jesus-planned, Holy Spirit-anointed worship service, the worship is still imperfect because all of the attenders are sinners like us. The worshipers, they are only partially motivated by this desire to honor Jesus, Mostly, they couldn't help thinking about the benefits that they hoped to get. They thought about Jesus overthrowing the Roman Empire. 
When Judas Maccabeus led the Jews to overthrow the Seleucid Empire 150 years before Jesus was born, the Jews, they celebrated by cutting palm branches and waving them. To commemorate their victory, they stamped their coins with palm branches during that era. So the waving of palms and the shouting of Hosanna, it's partly to honor Jesus. But it also excites these residents of Jerusalem because they're thinking Jesus might make them free of paying taxes this year. Isn't that kind of nice? It's tax season. If you got back not just a nice refund, but if you got back everything you gave in taxes over the past year, wouldn't you be a little bit excited? Hosanna, amen? Amen. If I knew that that's what Jesus might do, I might be celebrating Jesus not for who he is, but for what he might give me, these little benefits that I'm focusing on. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that the crowds are calling him king with no intent to submit to him should things get hard. He knows that they're applauding him kind of to get what they want to advance their own agenda. The people are fickle and disloyal. He knows what's going to happen on Friday. But knowing all this, why doesn't Jesus shut down the praise that the people are offering? I would expect Jesus to grab the mic and say, yo, yo, calm down, clear the street, you'll be still and stop the beat, I'll just say this a cappella. I know you too well to put my trust in you, fellas. I can hear your wheels turn as on your knees you pray. All the angels are aware of all the angles you play. Hosanna, you are shouting as you lay down your cloak because for now you think that by your definition I'm woke. Quick and cheerfully you call me Savior and Lord inviting me to think your loyalty is assured. But your praise and adoration is just noise in the air. All the worship that you bring is unworthy to bear is something that Jesus could have said. <laughs> thank you, thank you. If I were Jesus, and if I knew that crowds were going to be chanting, crucify on Friday, I would be bitter. And I would be dismissive of this worship on Palm Sunday. But Jesus isn't like that. The Pharisees later on, they're like, hey, tell them to quiet down. And Jesus says, let them worship. He's happy with their worship. So some of you who don't sing because you messed up yesterday, and those of you who don't clap because you're pretty sure you're going to mess up tomorrow, know that the good news about Palm Sunday is that Jesus accepts our praises and invites us to keep on singing knowing that we are imperfect, disloyal, and fickle worshipers. Amen? So think back upon your memories of your best worship experience. Maybe it was a time when people were really excited jumping up and down. Maybe people were crying and emotional. Maybe they were reverent and in awe. But if you think back, you know that those same people, a couple days later, a couple hours later, a couple minutes later, were sinning already. But it's okay. Because it's the grace of Jesus, not the purity of the crowd, that makes any worship service good and meaningful. Jesus knows that enthusiasm, it comes before commitment and devotion can be learned. That's the way it is with every love. I said I love you to my wife, and I think back to the first time I said it, and all the immature and stupid things I did afterwards, which tells me that I said I love you long before I learned how to treat people with love. I said it because I felt this enthusiasm that made me want to give them what I didn't yet know how to give them. 
And that's the way it was when my heart was awakened into worship. When I first said, I love you to Jesus, I couldn't back it up. I had nothing, man. My nose was running, words, I was stumbling, reaching for harmonies, off-key, but I was free. I could sense God's love for me. God accepted my worship before I knew theology, long before I was aware of my own hypocrisy. God was like, let him clap, even though he's offbeat. Let him make promises that he can't yet keep. When God said, from the lips of babes I have ordained praise, God meant awkward arms would be raised. Those distracted by work will still be blessed. The cynic and the doubter still caressed. Amen? God first loves us and chooses to accept our broken attempts at love. And because of that acceptance, we eventually get better at love. That acceptance that leads to our sanctification is a part of the good news about Palm Sunday. But as you know, the joy of the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Sunday is replaced by gossip, plotting, betrayal, arrest, false accusations, torture, and crucifixion over the course of Holy Week. This is because the triumphant entry into the earthly city of Jerusalem it foreshadows Jesus' triumphant entry into the heavenly tabernacle. And that's told to us in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. So Jesus enters into the perfect tabernacle in triumph, cheered and celebrated by all the angels worshiping him. And verse 12 tells us that all of Jesus' suffering during Holy Week, it was necessary for that triumphant entry into the most holy place. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time, and secured our redemption forever. Now, Jesus could have walked into the most holy place by himself at any time, but by enduring the cross, Jesus was able to use his blood to remove the curtain in the most holy place so that not just him, but anyone who calls him Savior and Lord could enter with him. His blood opens the way to the most holy place in heaven for us, for all time, and our redemption becomes secured forever. So Jesus doesn't get bitter about how the disciples would betray him. And Jesus is not angry about how the crowds would turn on him because Jesus knows that the coming suffering is not pointless. Jesus could forgive even the people who drove the nails into his hands and his feet because he knew that the Father would use his suffering to secure our redemption. Thus, every step of this Holy Week journey shows that Jesus was never a victim. He walks into Jerusalem in triumph, but he also walked into every trial in triumph, every punishment, every sorrow with triumph. He climbed the hill of Calvary carrying his cross with triumph because he knew that the blood that he spilled would make a way for all of us to be with him in heaven after we die. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, not included in today's reading, it tells us to keep our eyes 
on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. So you don't have to feel bad when you think about what Jesus suffers during Holy Week because Jesus is not a victim. Jesus walks with triumph and with inward joy, Hebrews 12 tells us, because Jesus knows that all of this is serving to open the way for us into the most holy place in that tabernacle in heaven. And because our destiny is to enter heaven with Jesus, the Holy Spirit now gives us a foretaste of the joys that will come by allowing us to access the blessings of the jar of manna, the rod of Aaron, and the tablets of stone. And to kind of remember what those blessings are, you can look back at the past three weeks' sermons, or you can come to the Good Friday service where Pastor Sang Kwan will preach about those three blessings, and Pastor David Chong and I will rap about those three blessings Oh yes, we are going to rap about it. Because Holy Week is not a time to be glum and sad. It is a time to mark Jesus' triumph. Yes, Jesus suffered, but we focus on what that suffering accomplishes. So to summarize, let me list again the three things that Palm Sunday proclaims. First, Jesus is the worship planner. And I think this is a relief for all of us who are in leadership. None of us have to stress about how to make Jesus famous. If we just listen to Jesus and obey, we will see exuberant worship break out as Jesus plans for it. Second, Jesus is the worship acceptor. None of us can offer Jesus a perfect worship, but Jesus accepts our worship anyway, knowing that by accepting us as we are, he will be able to make us better step by step. Third and finally, Jesus is the worship guarantor. Because Jesus has entered into the heavenly tabernacle in triumph, we know that eventually we will be getting deeper and more true with God, and one day God will be able to see us offer a perfect and pure worship to him in heaven. Grateful for this good news, let us pray together. God, we come before you thanking you for the salvation that you offer to us in Jesus Christ. Would you help us to be glad for all that you promise? Would you help us to celebrate with expressions of joy, both today and on Easter Sunday, and at the Good Friday service, and also each day as we do our daily Bible readings? Would you lead us into this joy as we pray this in Jesus Christ's name? Now is the time.